What am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up, man. That's my philosophy. Welcome back to Legendary Mindset. I'm your host, Jake P. Richardson. And uh, this week's episode is with Dwayne Herleman. And I drove up to Oklahoma last week specifically for this one. And guys, I realize all of, not all of, but most of the people we've had on here are from Texas. And they live within two hours of me. But I am trying to get as many people as I can. I'm trying to get people from up north um, and up into the Midwest. I'll be working on it. Uh, but today, like I said, we got Dwayne Herleman, and this guy is talented and competitive at everything he does, and there is a lot to learn here, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, it's actually in Weatherford, Texas. Really? Yeah. We should have just met up there. <laughs> That's what I wondered. After we did it, I got to thinking, I was like, I should have just met him down there, and um, that would have saved you. Did you just make a special trip up here for this? Um, yeah. I, I needed to come up anyways. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to swing by Brian Johnson's on my way back, but he's, okay. in, he's in Idaho, too. I'm going to go see some friends and oh, okay. check okay. on some projects and stuff. Those dog trials are pretty pretty tough right i mean i've heard you're getting really into it has been good like the one i'm going to now there's like five different associations kind of so this one's roe deer and so it's horseback and right now i'm setting second and seventh in the nation really yeah yeah. how many people are at one of them bigger um this one will probably be about 17 in my class probably and it's crazy because they'll come from like all over the last one i went to there was some kids from um or not kids there was one kid and then his dad came from new york Mm -hmm. but new york texas um missouri um kansas yeah just all over all over yeah how'd you i mean you've always kind of been in dogs did you always trial or is that recent um just recent trialing um we um have always had a dog here at the farm and used and stuff like that but um whenever i try to set out a goal or something like that or go out i want to be competitive Mm -hmm. and so um i just never did trial until i thought i had something good enough from what i've i mean dogs have always been a huge part of what you do every day yes yes we use the dogs every day um most the farm and operation here is set up mainly so that one person can run them through the chute use the dog and um, we can sort use the lambs off and um, the dogs are so important to us Mm -hmm. so it started completely on a practical like working yeah i think i got my first dog when i was probably nine Mm -hmm. and uh, actually i was um, out in a sale in stockton california really yeah it was at a facility out there and um there was a litter of pups and and i got a puppy and trained it and your intentions were let's make a sheepdog out of well i was hoping so and and we was also showing then and so we used it for a track dog oh yeah yeah and then just fall in love with it maybe yep. make a set of puppies yourself no just always just always would use that dog and then um whenever he got retired then we'd get another one yeah so do you ever i mean you raise a bunch or you just got a few that you just of... have a few just yeah. have a few mainly just mainly concentrating on the trial and the competition and then mm-hmm. the and then the using them here every day yeah do you see those dogs as you know these are basically employees 
or do you get pretty tight with a few dogs? And- I'm pretty attached, really. Yeah. Just um, you bond with them, and they're almost like an employee or something. Yeah. I mean, you use them every day, and, and um, they're, each one's personality is a little bit different. But mm-hmm. um, but we've always used them in sheep, but um, last September, I guess the fall of September of 19, I decided to step out my comfort zone, and, and I decided to go to some cattle trials. Okay. And that was that was good. It was it was good and uh, it went well. Mm-hmm. So I understand you were not you had, you're supposed to do novice or beginner or whatever for two years before you can go to pro. That's usually the case. I went ahead and started in the novice with the cattle last uh, September, mm-hmm. and then um, like in December they they asked me that I probably need to go ahead and start an intermediate. And so, so I've been around an intermediate, and then um, in the Rodeer cattle trials, it's set up just the beginners and um, non-pro, and then pro. And uh, when I went, I went to my first Rodeer in January, and they asked me to enter the non-pro. Really? Yeah. So. Just do your times were too good, or I mean, just they said that I had ran before, and so they asked me to do that. So luckily, they told me like the night before, and otherwise, I would have been really nervous. But I was able to kind of sleep on it and concentrated. And um, actually, the first run, first row deer, non pro, I ended up with a perfect score. And really, yeah, that's probably why they wanted to kick you out. <laughs> probably so. <laughs> probably so. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned your your first dog. That kind of made you fall in love with it was your, your track dog. Yes. So you guys, you showed sheep growing up? Uh, we showed sheep, uh, cattle, and hogs, and then also rode some horses kind of in some competitive events. And uh, But we had a strong influence from Texas judges when I was showing, mm-hmm. and so so many of those Texas you know judges and competitors, they always use the dogs. So, mm-hmm. so we would use um, the dogs to run the sheep. So brother, you had brothers and sisters that showed too? Older brother. He was uh, two and a half years older. Okay. So, so I mean, what, what year were you kind of showing? Um, let's see. I started um, when I was seven, and that was 1972. Okay. I started with two Suffolk U's and two registered Dorset U lambs. So they were blocked out at that point? Or were you like yes, we did lots and lots of blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, so every summer we, we would show like a show string. Mm-hmm. Breeding uh, sheep. Breeding sheep. And we'd go to Del Mar, L.A. County. Really? Yeah. And um, and then we'd go to some county fairs in, in Arizona, too, and then the state fairs. But but we fit all, all summer. And um, actually, that's how I ended up at Oklahoma State, because um, Bill Crutcher was the shepherd. He was judging our state fair when I was a senior. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to come back and fit for the university really yeah so you, you showed a bunch of breeding sheet a bunch of weathers too or was that not a bunch of weathers too no we did show weathers too and uh, i was lucky enough to win arizona national twice really yeah were they slicked at that point or were they they were blocked um most of them were sh- we shaved their backs mm-hmm. shaved their backs and feathered it in and then they had butt wool just like in their hip yep okay yep. and then they went to butt wool on the weathers and like in college, I every weekend I, I'd go fit weathers and we'd fit butt wool. It's a good way to make some money when you're. In it college. was good. It was a good way to to fund college. It really was. Oh yeah. So your your dad, your parents were way in on it, or was it just like? A um, parents had livestock backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was raised on a dairy and showed cattle, 
and then my dad uh, was raised on a poultry farm and um, both of them were involved in 4-H. Um, it was a tremendous blessing. They didn't know much about sheep, but they were very supportive. And so they helped us get started, but then they made us do it all. Uh, yeah. And um, we were lucky enough. We traveled quite a bit for back then. We would go buy livestock, and uh, we'd go to Illinois. We'd go wherever we needed to. We didn't have a lot of money, but um, but we'd buy them, and... Um, we were we were worked hard that's what dad's philosophy always was you help other people you if they ask you tell them but they got outwork you and so our whole philosophy was um, we got outwork so i think growing up kind of showing and not being able to buy everything you see i think you learned a lot more that way uh it was a blessing i mean um I thought growing up, my parents were too strict and um, were way too hard, but like they made us work and make a living and pay our, you know, buy our own clothes. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually had a business growing up, Uh, actually raised birds. Really? Yeah. What kind? Uh, Lovebirds, parakeets, cockatiels, and finches, and then I'd sell them to pet stores. Really? Yeah. I kind of did something similar with like uh, chickens and doves. Oh, cool! And fish when I was yeah. little, but it's, those are—I mean, those are fun. They reproduce. Oh, I mean, it's awesome. Sell babies, like yeah. No, it was good. It really helped me and, and kind of created some business skills and money management, and um, that was awesome. So at that point, did you? I mean, I mean, you're not. 18 or an adult yet but were you like i want to be in livestock or i want to raise animals or would you yeah definitely so i really um the love for livestock was was always there Mm -hmm. um i was fortunate enough to um some of them wanted me to run for state office but i I didn't and i I wanted to come back to oklahoma state and go to school and um i was able to win like a regional diversified livestock in ffa and just because the the sheep and the cattle and and the birds and stuff like that but um but it was the best decision i made is to come to oklahoma yeah Uh, it really was so are you you're from oklahoma actually grew up in chandler arizona i did not know that yeah grew up in chandler arizona that makes more sense why you're at those yes yes yeah that's a long drive yeah so how'd you when did you leave there i mean just school brought you here school brought me here yeah family's still in arizona though yes 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 um yeah so OSU, I mean, they have a sheep unit today, and they, I mean, they raised some club lambs. So is that what, basically what you did? You were just a shepherd over there? Um, worked for Bill Crutcher there, and primarily when I was there, they raised just breeding sheep. Yeah. It was all hams, dorsets, um, and suffix. What was that like? You live? Did you live on the unit? Or? They wanted me to. That was part of one of the things they wanted me to, but um, thank goodness I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I I really wanted um, the opportunity to go and do other stuff and be a college student. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then I was I, I worked a lot for Barbara Garvey um, in college, mm-hmm. and she was just north of Stillwater, so that was a great opportunity to still be able to go do that. And, yeah. Um, so you fit for people in college. You're pretty still involved in the showing aspect. Yep, yep. Uh, really fit a lot. So fit for the university. We'd cut out and mm-hmm. sculpture some of the breeding sheep, and then I would help Barbara Garvey. We helped Howard's, and then um, 
back then the corporation was really big the sale and uh, some of those big breeders from texas like hill country mm-hmm. and wintex um they had me fit the butt wool and stuff at the sales i mean that was fun it was good it, was, it feels good when guys like that yes calling you no it was good it, college was good and i was very fortunate mm-hmm. what'd you study uh, animal science and ag education, okay. double major. So did you want to go be an ag teacher or did you want to just farm? Um, actually, um, the first three years out of college, I went and I was ag teacher at Shoto in the northeast part of the state of mm-hmm. Oklahoma. And um, it was a great experience. It really was. I did my student teaching at Kingfisher, Oklahoma, which was the premier chapter. I mean, mm-hmm. they were at the top. They're I mean, still really good. Yeah, they're, they were just tremendous. And it was kind of a blessing, but a curse because um, I had great kids, great parents, great community. And um, then when I went out to teach, um, I had to build a program. Mm-hmm. So, but um, it was awesome. Um, I miss the kids. I really do. Um, had some kids that didn't have a lot of livestock background, but was able to change their life. And um, one young man was uh, misery every day in yeah. class. But um, I stayed on him, was real strict, and um, he was able to go on, went to college, and was an ag teacher. Really? Yeah, and he apologized in college um, after he kind of got out and stuff, what misery he dealt me. (laughs) I bet that feels good when a student goes to college to go do what you do. It was good. It really was. And he's been successful. He's done a good job. Mm -hmm. He really has. It's it's been fun. Um, It was neat trying to shape a lot of those kids' lives. What was your favorite part about ag teaching? I think the kids and watching them grow, um, trying to influence them yeah. to a better life, I guess. I got you. So why did you, what was the decision? Um, I got the opportunity to move to Cordell mm-hmm. and um, took a little while to get something bought here. But um, I knew if I wanted to pursue the sheep deal, I couldn't really teach yeah. just time-wise, time management. I wanted to really focus in on the sheep and try to get it as good as I could. And I knew just time-wise commitment. I'm one of these people that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to give 110%. Yeah. And um, so I just knew it wasn't right. So I um, was able to move to Cordell and um, eventually bought a 160 acres here and you know, got things going. So basically, you I mean just kind of bet on yourself there and just mm-hmm. like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Was there any, what was like fueling you to make you think, you know, I can, I can make the sheep thing work. And I guess I'm a competitive person. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the, it was, you know, several years of ups and downs. Um, and, um, but when I moved to Cordell, then I, I did get a, a job and I've been able to stay at that job for 25 years still. Okay. So. So you're but, still there today? Yep, still there. So what is that? I work for the Rural Electric Cooperative. Okay. So and it's been good. I started out in the youth programs and so that's kinda how I got my foot in the door because mm-hmm. of the ag teaching. And um done several things there. It it's been good. Um and um a lot of people have asked me over the years, they think I just raise sheep full time. And I was like, no. And they're like, why do you work? I said, I like my job. So Yeah. Well, it seems like it gives you a lot of time to go It does. Sheep. Yeah. yeah, it really does. And it's a nice break um, because um, when I go to work, I can work. When I come home, I can be at the farm. Yeah. So, so what, uh, what you started, you know, three years after ag teaching, raising sheep, was it still mostly suffix at that point? Or were they starting to kind of turn into weather sheep? Um, let's see, we, um, 19, um, 
87, we had the champion Ram with the Dorset and spring champion at, at Louisville. And then we went back the next year in 88 and was still competitive. We had a buckland that was really good. And um, then that was the year I decided no more breeding sheep. Mm-hmm. It was time to switch them over to the weathers. And so in 1989, I guess we started switching the dorsets over to breeding to the market lambs and then in 1988 i was working for cabinets some and i started buying some hams um, back then they would sell their ewe lambs that didn't lamb so they'd be yearling ewes so i bought some yearling ewes and they were uh 801s and 212s so it was just dorsets kind of there for a minute yeah it was dorsets growing up and all the way up until 88 okay and then in 88 we started with the blacks so you said you worked for cabinets what did the weather sheep look like back then because i know they were right at the forefront and just making them uh, slick yeah. ones look good but yeah they were way out in front i mean they were uh joe's uh philosophy was the sheep had to be really good fronted really good looking uh, they had been able to get those sheep with pretty good hides for hamps back then, mm-hmm. and um, they really come out, you know, f- at the forefront mm-hmm. with the the hamp sheep and the weather type sheep. So, I mean, were weather shows, you know, as competitive as they are now, or was it just kind of way different? Or um, I don't think they. Probably the top end was maybe that competitive. Mm-hmm. Just the the sheep are so much better today, but yeah. um, but the good ones were still good, yeah. and um, but just kind of totally different times as far as it, it's amazing how how much better the sheep have gotten over the years. Yeah, so bought some bucks from from cabinets. Were they kind of influential for you? Did you go there and kind of pick their brains a lot, or yes, uh, Joe Joe was um, very very. Um, good to visit with. I also got to know uh, Joe Harold about mm-hmm. the same time, and the Suffix were were coming, you know, and and uh, Joe was a tremendous breeder, and he let me buy his old ewes, so um, I was able to buy the old ewes that were old, no bags, mm-hmm. and um, so that's kind of how I was able to get in with him. But Joe had um, tremendous knowledge, Joe Harold, mm-hmm. and um, his influence. Um, I, I still probably try to do a few things that he taught me and I, his um, approach to customers and stuff. He wasn't one to brag or he's not a person to show off. He lets the sheep sell herself mm-hmm. and, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. So how many ewes did you kind of have right around that time? Uh, we were running probably about 100, uh, 150 ewes. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty successful you guys are doing good or are you still trying to find still trying to find our way mm-hmm. um i was going slow because um i was more uh just finished up with college and i didn't really want to borrow money mm-hmm. so i just kind of paid as i went um was the approach and so we still weren't um super super competitive um i think in 1997 uh we went to black and white we had a really good um blue sheep that was a spring champion buck and he sold to hill country um and um that's when things probably started clicking pretty good is Mm -hmm. the late 90s and then in early 2000s things were really going good what was when it started clicking was it because of maybe a buck or something kind of fell into place or 
Um, our philosophy has always been that we kept the best females. Mm -hmm. We would not sell the best females. So I think we finally got a good enough U-base um, to get things going. Mm -hmm. And um, then uh, we bought a buck uh, from uh, Castro's that um, was called Cajun. Mm -hmm. And that sheep really kind of turned things for us. He was way different. We bought him at Sedalia, and uh, that was when the, the blue sheep were still popular and the Suffolk sheep were real popular, and he was way different. He would be pretty popular today. He was, really? yeah, big bone, big, big top, and uh, just so different. But um, he kind of got things going for us um, pretty good. Before that, we'd used a lot of Joe Harold bucks. Yeah. Seems like, I mean, David Garrett kind of said the same thing and, and a couple other guys, but that cabinet Harold Cross was just killer for, for quite a while. That really worked good. It really did. Um, people was had the Suffolk base on the Herald side, and then they were gradually trying to switch them over to the Hamps, and that mm -hmm. cross really worked good. For sure. So I know I know uh, Guy Wire was one of the first that kind of just blew up for you. What year was what year was that, and what kind of had that fall into place? Guy Wire did us a tremendous job. I remember whenever I was telling my dad that we was going to buy him, he thought it was crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a lot of money. And uh, we bought him in, in uh, the summer or the, I guess, the fall of 07. Oh, okay. So way later. Yep, yep. Way, um, but he did us a great job. Um, whenever I bought him from Guy and, and Larry Shell, they said that there would be very few throwaways, and there wasn't. I mean, just did us a great, great job. That U-Base carried us way over to begin our flush program. Mm -hmm. Why do you think you worked so good on the U's you had? I think you were good, you know, they they had a little bit more hamp influence, I think, at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, Guy Wire was uh, awesome hided, hard, hard touch to him, tremendous loin edge, and had a good look to him. But I think he worked so good because we had a pretty nice hamp base to, to go on him. Mm -hmm. And then we raised a really good son that we called Revolution. And um, he, th those daughters started our flush program, the Revolution daughters. Mm -hmm. um, was, so flushing, I mean, in AI, I mean, some people have been doing it for a little bit, but it's still fairly new to our industry. Were, was that, when you started doing it, was, was it common or was it? It was not very common at the time. We had our first flush uh, in the fall of 11. Wow. Yeah, we started early. So you get guys from New Zealand, Australia? Yes. Uh, Dr. John Crawford from New Zealand came, and um, it was the best thing we did. Um, and um, I guess we had a re kind of a reconstruction of the sheep, and we sold almost the majority of our ewes prior to that. And so we just kept the very, very best use and started flushing in um, 11 and had our first crop in 12. And we just decided that that was the direction we needed to go. And it was the best thing we ever did. Mm -hmm. But it was early on. There was, um, I still tell people today that um, I like to go to Vegas, but I'm not a gambler in Vegas. But as far as the sheep, I gamble. And yeah. um, the flesh deal, I just think it's a gamble. But um, I think if you're going to progress and make strides in the industry, you gotta you gotta gamble. Mm -hmm. Is that always your philosophy? Just take take big risks. 
Because yeah. I mean, that's a huge. I mean, flushing today even is risky. Some people yes. end up with zeros all the time. I mean, yeah. But that was a time when nobody was for sure like this is the way to go. I mean, so no. And we started out using frozen semen to flush, and Crawford's way against that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just it reduces your odds some, and and. He just said early on back then the semen wasn't very good, but we actually used um, Cajun and guy wire semen the right. first year we flushed and uh, it was frozen and we had pretty good luck. Um, we really did. We we've gambled a lot on some semen and um, but when we started producing those females out of those first few flushes, that's what really changed things for us. Mm-hmm. So I know your your donor pen I've heard is just so much fun to go through and just just. Just badass, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, from that point on, has that just kind of been your philosophy ever since? Just, just sell if they're not good enough. If they're not good enough, we don't keep them, and we have built the whole program around the donor pen. What percentage of your babies every year are ET? You think? Eighty percent. Eighty percent. The other twenty is that just the donors' naturals, or do you have some AIs too? We don't breed a lot of the donors. Uh huh. We, we probably go against the grain on that, really? too. We, we, and one reason we do that is because we flush four times a year. Mm-hmm. So those better use, we try to flush three times a year. And so by the time they flush for January's and they end of February's or first of March's, and then we flush them again for the late, uh, like April 15th lambs, mm-hmm. they don't really have enough time to get back in the program. To get pregnant, have a baby, wean it, and then get yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. Do you notice any, like, is there any negatives to that, like, down the road, or do they get used to it? I think they get used to it. Um, you know, a lot of the, the veterinarians would like to see them lamb, yeah. but um, it hit, knock on wood, it's worked pretty good. Mm-hmm. We've just been probably really aggressive on that. But the better use, we try to flush twice and sometimes three times. Do you, how many years do you think you can do that for? I mean, uh, we've had a few that have went six years. Mm-hmm. We had a good guy wire you that um, was born in 09 and uh, she flushed all the way up until she was um, eight or nine years old. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, based off your, what you just described, your, your culling process, I bet you don't really hang around that long. No, they've got to be pretty elite. And um, like right now, we're, um, we're only running probably 65, what I call AIUs, mm-hmm. and then we have 25 donor use. Okay. So 25 donors flushed four times a year. How many recipes you got? Uh, we try to have 500. Okay. And I try. <laughs> That's a lot for 25 donors. I guess you flush a ton. Yeah. We try to get, have at least 120 recipes per flush. Just I always want to make sure we have extras. Um, we're also probably a little bit different. I like to put in singles, mm-hmm. if at all possible. Yeah. And um, They're worth a lot more money when they're 60 days old, it seems like. They are. That's the whole key, you know, yeah. like the vets really don't like to do it. Crawford doesn't like to do it, but um, it just works better. Yeah. I mean, it, and so we run a lot more recips and um, we've switched the recips over and we're primarily using white uh, dorper influence, okay. kind of dorper crossbreds. We've kind of switched that over. A lot of people give us a hard time early on. They didn't think they could carry them. But, um, but they've done a really, really good job. They're tremendous mothers. They milk good and... And I think our re, uh, retention rate on the embryos has been better. Mm-hmm. We used when I used to work for Neff, we used those all the time, and them, them things are tiny. Yeah. And their hips aren't very big, but their lambs might come out small, but them things just throw them lambs out. I mean, they're great moms. It seems like 
Did the lambs just kind of come out smaller? And yeah. They, I mean, they stay fat. I mean, they're just they're just good sheep. They are. They're honestly, they're probably some of the best sheep I've ever been around. Just yeah. as far as just low maintenance, um, easy to be around. Yeah. And you raised some weather style ones too, right? We just started um, two years ago. We started buying some white Dorper ewes mm-hmm. and um, tried to buy some high end ones. And um, it's kind of been exciting. We um, are toying with the idea of maybe starting to flush some of them really? if, if we can find the right semen. So are you specifically just, just the white dorpers or do you just... Right now, strictly white dorpers. Okay. And maybe um, when we retire from the blackface weather sheep, we may buy some black-headed dorpers. Okay. Is there a specific reason? Um, I think part of it is is because of the dorset background. You just like that? Look. Just they're white. And um, some people say the white dorpers are calmer mm-hmm. than the blackheads. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, the blackheads, they say, are just a little bit higher strung and... A little wilder. Yes. Um, so you raise your own recips too. You have a bunch of. We're starting to raise some. Mm-hmm. We um, we would like to raise all of our own and and maybe eventually even raise some uh, to sell. You know, to we've had a pretty good interest in people asking us if if they could buy recips. Yeah, but, I mean, but, I mean they're kind of easy to make. You don't really have to mess with them. They they have their right. babies on their own and all that. So you kind of mentioned it. A minute ago, so you, when you sell out of your blacks, I understand that's kind of been going on for a few years. What's your where did that start, or why did you want to? Um, I started with the sheep in 1972, and whenever I started looking like it was getting close to 50 years, I was mm-hmm. like, you know what, that's a good stopping point. So um, five years out, I decided that I'd get a plan, and we just downsize every year. Mm-hmm. And then our goal is to retire in uh, 2022, okay. and that'll be 50 years. And um, I'm working hard to try to get them as good as I can. And I told myself five years out that I could stay focused. I could give 110% effort mm-hmm. for five years. But I don't know if I could stay at that pace for 15. or. Yeah. And um, I've just seen a lot of people over the years stay too long. Mm-hmm. And so I want to try to get them as good as I can, and then we'll just walk away. Yeah, that's good. So what, what are you, <clears throat> 2017, 2018 is kind of when you started selling out of them? Yep, 18. Okay. Yeah, we first the first initial and probably the hardest step was we sold the Dorset use. Mm-hmm. And, um, How many of those did you have? I'd say we had about 50, okay. yeah, 55, 60, and probably then we had a few speckle face shoes, so probably mm-hmm. 75. Worked out awesome. We I just kind of g- casually mentioned it, that we were thinking about doing that, and um, two people kind of took me up on it. One guy took the older set of ewes, one guy took the uh, yearling ewes, and um, it worked out awesome. It was good. It was still a lot of people probably still doubt that I'll sell out, but um, more and more of them believe in it. Um, mm-hmm. We got a little bit faster pace on selling out than what I thought. Um, a year ago, we had somebody walk in and want to buy the ELAM crop, and I thought they were joking. Mm-hmm. So it took me a little bit to kind of wrap my head around it. But um, so we negotiated a deal, and first I negotiated to keep 15 ELAMs. Then they were smart enough to renegotiate and make me only keep five. So last year, I only kept five ELAMs. Wow. Yeah. That so. Was- when you started selling out, how many blackies did you have? Oh, at our peak, we was with the Dorsets and the Blacks. We got we was up to five hundred ewes. Okay, that was not including recips. 
No, well, we had already kind of started restructuring, and uh, but at the restructure, we was at um, probably two hundred fifty, mm-hmm. and then um, we took a huge dip, um, the, and um, got to about hundred fifty, and then um, last year we was at hundred, what I call AIUs mm-hmm. plus the donors, <clears throat> and then. Then with us only having five ULAMs, that kept our numbers. Then this summer, we sold um, several U's. And so um, really going into next year, we'll just have the few AIUs, donor U's, a few yearling U's. Mm-hmm. And then we'll probably try to sell most of them. My goal was to, at the very end, the last year, just have donor U's left. That's kind of my goal. Yeah. So, so I mean, you've done this for, you said, 50 years. When those trailers fully used started leaving was it what'd that feel like um the first year uh, you know when we sold the doors that used was a little tough but um i think i'm just focused and um i think it'll be fine and it, whenever i decided to do this i kind of everybody's like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do with your time mm-hmm. so that's when i kind of got interested in the dorpers and mm-hmm. i was like maybe i can focus my uh, attention to those and um but i'm looking forward to it just um time wise mentally physically is hard with um staying on top of four flushes especially after 50 years i mean tired a little bit i'm not right now but i i mean before i decided to sell out i was starting to get tired Mm -hmm. i really was starting to get tired yeah and um has it been nicer having less oh definitely yes yeah so much better so, I mean, you sell groups of views every year. I mean, you have a lot less than you did four, three, oh, four yes, years ago. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Has your quality just skyrocketed because you're narrowing it down so much tighter, you think? We have been blessed with, um, we basically have four groups. And we what we do is we have a group for each flush. Mm-hmm. And then we sell out of each flush group. And um, the last two years, the sales have been tremendous. The people that come in and look are overwhelmed with the depth and the quality. Mm-hmm. And um, just taking out the bottom end or marginal use is just um, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, your sheep have been selling like crazy. <laughs> it has been good. It really has. Even even this year with, with the COVID and everything, I was a nervous wreck. Um, our first sale was tremendous, and that was before it. But mm-hmm. then um, our second sale hit right about the time. But um, it's been good. We, we don't go to any public sales. Everything's here at the farm. So, um, But traffic has been good, and, and we've been very fortunate. Um, our philosophy has always been over the years that we want repeat business. Mm-hmm. I mean, we rely on repeat customers. And so we want people to be happy. And um, really, over the years, our sheep sometimes are not probably as bloomy and fat and thick as babies. But we breed them to be ready when they hit the show ring. Mm-hmm. And so most of the time, people are pretty happy, and, and it's been good. Yeah. When they start skinny, and they just get yeah. better. I mean, yes. I yeah. can't ask for more. Yeah. So let's get back to kind of the digit your genetic scheme, I guess. So yes. you, you had you had guy wire did awesome. Yes. Kept a son. Those daughters yep. were good. Yep. What was your next step that you saw? Were you looking for one? Or were you trying to make one? Um, we we were always probably outside of the box as far as genetics, and um, we would gamble on maybe not the most popular buck out there. Sometimes we'd use the most popular. Sometimes we wouldn't. But we'd try to match up the 
the donor used with the right buck. And uh, we used uh, Grizz, um, and in 14, we was able to produce uh, the buck called Bravo. Okay. And he really was a tremendous individual. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was my kind, and uh, he got better and better every day. Uh, what set him apart from the rest, or his counterparts, I guess? Like, uh, he was tremendous heighted, hard-touched, great loin-edged, good-looking from the side, beautiful legs and shag um and he bred so consistent Mm -hmm. his mother has been one of our main donors she's still in the donor pen we haven't flushed her last year or two but she was born in uh, 2010 okay but she's still alive looks good but um that whole bloodline has been tremendous he um bravo had a flush sister that was a tremendous donor you that did a good job but um Bravo really, really helped us. And then his daughters have been phenomenal. Several of our donors are Bravo daughters. And then we've had great luck lining up the Bravo, um, getting it on top and bottom. Or Bravo's mother is a Yui raise called 1060, and 1060 on both sides of the pedigree really lines up good. So from I did some research before we got here. So Bravo... I mean, he got pretty popular, but not maybe immediately after he was born? No, because when he came out, everybody loved him as a baby, but he was a grizz. Mm-hmm. And People were maybe afraid of that? They were afraid of the grizz. Like, there was two or three individuals looked at him as a baby, and they're like, they're like, well, how's he bred? I say, he's a grizz on 1060. And they're like, nah. And one of the individuals was Justin Nathan, mm-hmm. and he was out on the Grizz, and he thought he was one of the better ones he'd seen that year, but he was just out because it was a Grizz. But um, we've always probably hadn't worried too much about, it, you know, just like I said, if, if they're popular or if they're going out of style or whatever. But, but like that individual looked good, and um, his mother's been a great, great donor. Mm-hmm. And um, it did take a while. For him to probably to get more and more popular, and I think even nowadays he's we're still selling semen on him, and um, I think the females are tremendous. Mm-hmm. So, are you much for like line breeding and keeping those families together, or are you just you know breed good ones to good ones and roll? We do both. Mm-hmm. We we like to, um, especially on the Bravo, if you can get it on the top and the bottom, it works great. But then. I've also seen people that get too line bred, too inbred, and then they can't get out. Mm-hmm. But like the way that we do it with the donors and we bring in outside bucks to use, it gives us some flexibility mm-hmm. where we can get them tighter, but then we still have several avenues to get out of it. Are you, I mean, you said you're, you're a gambler. Yes. You like to take risks. Yes. I mean, would you go and buy a buck that is not related at all to your use as long oh, as you yeah. looked? Yeah, no doubt. Really? No doubt. Yeah, not a problem. So this might sound crazy or, or dumb, but I just kind of been thinking about something like, I mean, people breed like line genotype line breeding. You know, breed uh-huh. families back to each other and cousins, yep. uncles. Yeah. Is there anything to maybe like phenotypically line breeding, like breeding a sheep that looks a certain way to another sheep that looks a certain way for generations without much common ancestry? I I have done that a lot over the years, mm-hmm. and I like it. It works? Yeah, it works good. I think as long as you've got some consistency in those lines, I think that you can line them up. And and probably I'm probably more apt to do that, mm-hmm. to line them up phenotypically 
but um, but if you can still line it up with a little bit of predictability, I think it helps. Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's so many different philosophies about making sheep. I mean, some people you know do what you just said. Some people just take a group of a hundred exotic crazy looking ewes and bring them to a little tiny thick midget and just and just hope it works out are you kind of anti that or just consistency? we don't do a lot of that yeah. we, we really try to do consistency mm -hmm. um, like even in the donor pen you'll see some different kinds and different types but um, um, I've always had kind of a type of sheep I like and um, I'm very very lucky right now because those kind of sheep are fairly popular. Mm -hmm. So we've lived through some sheep that were popular that, that are not my kind. Mm -hmm. But um, but right now things are really have worked out good that the industry and the people, what they're seeking and stuff like that. We've always been really critical on front ends, mm -hmm. uh, tall fronted, shallow, um, sheep that are good looking. Um, probably my two pet peeves are front ends and hip structure. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're, when you're talking about selling all of your ewe lambs except for five what splits those hairs what, what what do those five look like or what do they have to look like just to stay here you think that was the toughest decision i, I had a hard time getting to 15 and then i got to 15 and then i had to get to five um but you families mm -hmm. really come down to the deciding factor yeah we actually it's kind of crazy we kept uh two sets of full sibs and um Ooh. They were two flesh mates, um, two of them are Huckleberry Bravos, and then two of them are uh, rank on Giselle. Giselle's kind of my favorite donor. And then the other U is a line bred Bravo, and, um, but all three of them are out of Bravo. I mean, uh, all three of them are out of donor U's, mm -hmm. and uh, it was tough. It was, it was tough. I mean, it was tough getting to five. Yeah. Were those five that... Maybe those you families you were just in love with were those the best looking five too, or there was probably a few individuals that was as good or better looking, mm -hmm. and then whenever I had to narrow it down, I had to narrow it down to you families and um, but um, one of the U's, and then those five U's went into the donor pen. They're, they'll be going into the donor pen this fall. Um, but one of those U's was reserve champion U at OYE, and then the other U was fourth overall at OYE. Um, really? So those were both good, really this, good. This pasture, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I remember watching that. Was it, was it Sager? Sager, Sager had the, um, and it was the Washman boy, Clayton Washman, mm -hmm. showed the reserve. And then, um, yeah, Sager had the fourth overall as well. There you go. Yeah, she looked, she looked really good out there. So after after Bravo, I mean, what was what was the next step after that? I mean, you had some daughters. Um, and had daughters, out. had daughters, and then we raised um, a buck called Crinkle, which is a son, and uh, he's lined up a little bit on Bravo's mom. He's out of a Bravo. Uh, he was out of Bravo, and then his mother was a 40 large on 1060. So he was lined up, and we sold half of him as a buck lamb. It's probably related to a lot of donors that were yes there. yeah yeah and then um then after bravo um because we had sold both them bucks early half interest in both them bucks early so we had to keep going but um we raised a really good buck he didn't get much uh popularity or fame um he died too soon but um he was a buck called legit and he was a rank on a bravo mm -hmm. and he's he sired the you that was reserved at Hawaii. Oh, okay 
So you've had, I mean, you're how far away from Stillwater right now? Two and a half hours. Did you ever have you know, college kids come work for you? Yes, we have had several. We really have. A um, couple of them that come to mind is actually um, um, Megan Hobbs. Oh, yeah? She worked here some when she was going to school. Uh, Lisa Tesconi worked here. She was from California. Okay. And uh, we've had some really good ones over the years. Um, it's a little bit far sometimes, but um, but we have been blessed with some good college kids. You got uh, any cool Megan Hobbs stories? Any funny ones? Oh, the first time that she was here, um, first time I ever met her, and um, she was here with a girlfriend from college, and... Um, I don't know what happened. Something happened. I don't know if the sheep got mixed together or something. And I was very, very frustrated. And so she probably didn't get the best first impression of me that day because I was kind of frustrated. But it's the uh, first day she was there? Yeah, oh, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. But Megan did a good job. Um, she had lost her mom about that time. And um, she hung out here, stayed here at the house, and, and uh, was really good to us. So. Mm-hmm. And you guys are like family. I mean, you're oh, yeah. very close friends. We're very good friends, yeah. 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 And did J- Jake Dooley, was he? Jake was around. And um, actually, Jake was showing... And whenever I was ag teaching, that's how I first met Jake Dooley. Mm-hmm. And um, he, because he was raised up in the northeast part of the state, and that's where I was teaching. And so, um, and one of his uh, relatives, I think it was an uncle that was my principal mm-hmm. at school. But, um, but yeah, Jake, Jake was out here some. And then we've had, we've been fortunate. Uh, we've had um, some younger kids out here. Kyler Lee mm-hmm. has helped some, and um, he's done a good job in Kansas and going to school in Oklahoma. Yeah, he's one of my one of my best friends. I, I called him on the way here, and he gave me a bunch of questions to ask. And, good, good. And he wants me to go look at a couple of U's. Oh, super. Once we get done here. but No, awesome. What's your, I mean, what's your favorite part about having... Those people, I bet it makes you proud to see them go out and oh, make yeah. a name for themselves, too. That's what I've told a lot of them is that, um, you know, like I said earlier, I grew up just very middle class and always had to work for what I've done for. And and I like helping young people, mm-hmm. and I like to see them get started. And um, uh, Kyler came the other day and bought some use. I'm really excited about the use he bought. And, um, but it's fun to see those guys. And, um, there were some good families that helped me and was kind of like a home when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, Barbara Garvey was awesome. And, um, so if we can help kids, um, you know, work here and give them the opportunity and show them around and, and, um, offer them a home if they need a home or weekend to get away. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I love it. So, I mean, you have two more years until you're probably going to be out of blackfish sheep. What are you going to do with all your free time? I want to travel. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to that. I've been traveling some, but I want to go a lot more. Um, Where do you, like, nationally or around the country? Um, I've been to Brazil. I've been to um, Mexico. And um, uh, I actually went to... Um, um, blank on the name yeah um south american country uh thailand thailand, I went to thailand and it was awesome really? yeah i would have never went but i had some buddies that um were going and it was a last minute deal one of them was getting married mm-hmm. and so he's like hey do you want to go to thailand i was like mm, yeah sounds good <laughs> so sounds good so i met them in california 
and then we flew over there and that was an awesome trip it was good so i want to do more of that i'd like to go to um you know scotland wales ireland and uh, another place i want to go is hawaii so but i want to be able to do more of that stuff um that's kind of one of the reasons to kind of slow down so i'm not tied down here so much so what's your what's your favorite part about traveling just seeing that stuff or you know being being in culture shock for a week both yeah Yeah, both i love to travel i like to try new foods and um and and also just to get away and relax most time whenever i travel i can relax yeah you've been to brazil a few times right i have and i really really like it Mm -hmm. i really like it i was wanting to go this summer and then things didn't work out but um but i like going there i um met a girl over there and oh, yeah. and um that was good we we visited and and she showed me around um it was kind of interesting i wanted to go to rio because that's part of going to brazil oh, but yeah. but whenever it's i'm like vegas yes there, right? oh it is incredible it is incredible but it's very dangerous and mm-hmm. whenever i said something to her i was like hey let's go to rio and she's like no she's like so we went to the travel agency and we was sitting there and, and this travel agency asked, she's like, well, do you want to rent a car and a bulletproof car? I thought they were joking. <laughs> I thought they were joking. No, they were serious. Oh my gosh. So we ended up flying from uh, Sao Paulo to Rio, but Rio is incredible. I was such a, and uh, I wanted to go this year because Leo, he does part of the embryo transfer work for us. He lives over there and he was going to show me more of the agriculture side. And uh, he's big into dorpers, and uh, he was going to show me some of the good dorpers. You ever see yourself buying property down there or moving? I would like to have some property somewhere, Mm -hmm. like on, you know, island, um, you know, um, just some isolated place. I I think it'd be incredible. And um, we didn't, we went to like some of the beaches in Brazil, but like they say that there is some nice, nice places. Sure. And so um, at Rio, we where we stayed, um, the beach was right there, and it, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. But um, I would like to have some kind of property like that someday. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll happen, but it'd be fun. Do you speak? I mean, you travel all over the place. Do you speak any languages? Um, language? I can speak some Spanish. Mm-hmm. We've we've always had a lot of um, Spanish influenced guys working for us, mm-hmm. and so I can speak about half Spanish. I wish I was fluent in it. Um, I can understand a little bit of the Portuguese when I was in Brazil, mm-hmm. um, just because of the Spanish background. But um, I would like to, I would like to learn more. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you ever go to Europe? I have not been there, but but my plans are to um, to try to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to go there. I really would. Where in Mexico do you? Because I only been I only been out of the country once. And it was Ensenada, Mexico. Oh, okay. No, I've been to Cozumel, Cancun, Playa de Karma, mm-hmm. and then actually I took my kids to Cabo. Oh yeah, and right before my daughter got married, um, I took her to Cabo. That's where she wanted to go. So, um, yeah, but I like to go. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about all uh, all stuff going on in the world right now? One's COVID. And- it's very scary times. Um, the COVID probably doesn't scare me as much yeah. as um, some of the other stuff. Um, just, um, I think as long as somebody's you know cautious about you know keeping their hands clean and and uh, we're very fortunate where we live here we're pretty isolated yeah. so i guess it's not as big an issue but um our office at work's pretty small um and um we've just tried to be kind of cautious about it but um 
I, I'm afraid that it's going to be here for a while, mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's going to be one of those deals where we're just going to have to learn to live with it and, I mean, move on, and, and yeah. it's going to be similar to a bad cold. And, and if your immune system is compromised, I think you've got to stay home and, and, you know, not be around it. But I think it's one of those deals that's not going to go away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, really concerned more about just where our country is. I mean, the last three years, I think, has been great. And um, now the last uh, six months is pretty scary just yeah. with the riots and stuff like that. Is is um, That price scares me more than anything. Drink a lot more margaritas in the last six months than you yes, have? Yes, yes, definitely so, definitely so. We're sipping on some of these right now. I've heard these are legendary. Um, I have been fortunate to come up with a good recipe for margaritas, and margaritas are kind of my weakness. So <laughs> they're always good. I mean, even when it's cold, that's yeah, good. yeah. What's is it a secret recipe or are you just no? It's not a secret recipe, but um, for years we always used Patron, and because I always try to use good tequila. But um, the guy at the liquor store has got me on. Um, it's, it's called Cancun, mm-hmm. and it's really good quality. It's just not as promoted as much. Um, but we use we use good tequila, and then we use Jose Cuervo mix, and then we use Grand Marnay, which really makes it smooth. And um, one thing uh, we always wanted, uh, I used to make them frozen, mm-hmm. and then I'd make them and then just leave them in the freezer. And some of the girls at work, they're like, they would always say, we want a slushy because they'd just be ready to make, mm-hmm. you know, and then they can just come get one. But now we use um, kind of a sonic ice, and um, but um, I like the margaritas, I do. Yeah, it's, I usually typically order a margarita if you go to Mexican restaurants. Yeah, yeah. I like it better than beer, I think. Yeah. But um, I understand you have to go to a, tri- get on the road and go to a trial here pretty soon, but so uh, we'll wrap it up, but thanks. It's no, so appreciate the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's been fun and was really looking forward to the opportunity to do this. Me too. Thanks for, thanks for letting us come in here and, and do this. You bet. And welcome back. I, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me. Dwayne even, um, we talked a lot about his dogs, and he is ultra, ultra competitive in uh, those stock dog trials. And uh, he definitely gets fired up just talking about them. He, he, took, um, he took us out there and showed us um, all of his dogs and even worked a few for us. And, and them things are impressive. Uh, he's got all of them broke to a whistle. His dogs are intelligent, and, and he is very passionate about that aspect of it. Um, had a ton of fun that day. Uh, Dwayne's margaritas were incredible. Um, if you're ever up there um, hanging out with Dwayne or buying sheep, maybe ask him for his recipe. Uh, he might give it to you if you're lucky. Uh, but but that's all I got for you guys this week. Uh, don't, don't forget to like us on Facebook and, and Instagram, Legendary Mindset with Jake P, uh, for more content every week. Um, but... I'll see you guys next week. Thank you.